Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Hey, if you have a Bible, jump over to Genesis chapter 24, Genesis chapter 24. We are continuing our dating relationship series that we've called The One, The One, and uh, this is our third installment, people. This is exciting, and now we're going to talk about this week literally about the pursuit, and I think there's no better way to get us ready to talk about the pursuit than to watch something. On my broken ankle, Doc says I'll be all right, only I have to stay off my feet for a week or so. Anyway, here's the ticket for the high teen carnival. It's too late to turn it in, so you have yourself a time and tell me all about it. One couple. That means a date. Not like just going around with the crowd. Just me and the girl. Well, that's all right. Only, what girl? Who? How do you choose a date? Mm, it's a great question. And some of you are probably thinking just in that way. And uh, I'll just say at the start of this, I'm, I've been a little bit under the weather, so if my voice cracks like a 13-year-old boy, I'm really sorry. I'm just going to try to work through it, plow through it. So we're going to talk about dating people. And in that light, I would say, simply say this. you got dating on your mind. You've got relationships stirring in your soul. Because at this time in life, dating seems like such a huge deal. I mean, it's that thing right in front of your face. Your friends are talking about it. It's what you're watching on television. It's what you're singing and listening to on your iPhone or whatever. There's all these songs and media focused on the relationship. And it's gotten to astronomical proportions. I mean, it's such a big deal. And it's always been a big deal. And what's crazy is a story that I heard years ago, but I think it, I think it communicates the pressure there is to find a date and make that date the perfect one. When I was in college, the pastor of the college ministry I attended shared this story, and I thought, that is the most impressive story. Now, I don't know if it's real, but it communicates the point, and so it's worth it. So it starts out with a guy, and he had been pursuing this girl for a date, and he had been asking her week after week, hey, would you like to go out you know, next Friday night? She's like, oh, I'm busy. I got this thing, and he'd ask her the next week, hey, I'm you free maybe this next Friday night. Would you like to go out? And, and she would say no. And so there's about three or four weeks in a row where he just got denied. And it was the last time he was going to ask her. And so he walked up, got up all of his energy, his inner gusto. You know, he was a bold man. He goes, okay, would you like to go out this coming Saturday night? And she said, actually, I'm free. And he goes, Perfect. And so he goes through the week. He's excited about what the date will be like. And they live up in the Northeast. And so he plans to take a train um, into the city to go um, around town. It's going to be so great. And he's got all of these plans in his mind. He's excited about it. But the day before he goes on the date, he gets sick with the flu. He's throwing up all day. And that, that literally that night he got sick. All day he's throwing up. And he's like, look, I've worked so hard. There's no way I'm going to say no now. I'm just going gonna, gonna to make it work. It's going to happen, right? And so it comes time for the date. He goes and picks her, up, picks her up. They work their way to the train station. He's okay. And so they go 
on the train, and he dismisses himself at one point during the train to go to the bathroom. He's like, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. He goes and throws up profusely in the bathroom. He goes back to her. She didn't know. He brought some, uh, you know, gum, so he's, he's okay. And, and so they go out to the restaurant, and so um, he's like, okay, I got to eat now. Oh, no. And, uh, and so he orders like a light meal and kind of eats a little bit, and it's okay. But at, during one point during the dinner, he's like, I need to excuse myself again to the bathroom. And so he excused himself and he goes to the bathroom and just throws up, throws up, throws up. He couldn't keep anything down. And then he's like, okay, not so bad. Two trips to the bathroom, bathroom, one day, not horrible. I'm gonna work my way back to um, the table. It's not terrible. And he goes back down, sits back down. They continue the meal. It's everything's going all right. And then a moment occurs where he can't control it. And so he goes, (gasps) I need to go to the bathroom. And he starts shimming his way to the bathroom but doesn't make it and throws up over his pants. He makes it into the restroom just the best he can to clean off his pants, like get all that out of there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, he's like, oh, this is crazy. And so he gets there, cleans himself off and then he untucks his shirt, kind of pulls it down a little bit low, goes back to the, to the, to the seat at the table, kind of scoots his way in. She doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. And so he just sits down. They finish the meal and they get up to walk out. And he's like, I'm not going to be able to cover up this wet spot on my pants for the rest of the night. So as they're walking out of the restaurant, suddenly he sees The Gap, a clothing store. And he says, perfect. I will buy myself a new pair of khakis She'll be none the wiser. I'll change, and it'll be great. And so they go into the gap, and he says, hey, you go look at your stuff. I'm going to go look at my stuff. And he grabs a sweater and a pair of khakis that match his perfectly. And he goes to the cash register, and by that time, she walks over to him, and he doesn't want her to see that he's buying the khakis. And so he says, under his breath to the cashier, not the sweater, because he doesn't want to pay for the sweater, too. And the cashier's like, what? He's like, not the sweater. And then she comes up and he's like, hey, how are you doing? How's it going? And he's talking with her and suddenly she, the purchase is made. He grabs the bag and he continues out and they get back onto the train. At this point, he's like, okay, this isn't horrible yet. And so he says, he <laughs> excuses himself one more time to go to the bathroom. Goes to the bathroom in the train car. This is a four bathroom trips and one date. Hey, but this is not bad. I haven't puked on her yet. It's not terrible. He gets there in the train car, pulls off his pants, opens the window, throws them out the window, closes the window, opens the bag, and it's the sweater. (laughs) Phenomenal. And I love that story because it communicates one simple point. We put way too much pressure on dating, right? We put way too much pressure. I mean, we feel like it's the one moment we've got to to impress this person, to show that we've got our life in order, to put that perfect picture forward, and we want everything to go perfectly, everything to go smoothly. And I don't know how it works in your world, but it probably feels something like that. I don't want to misstep, otherwise I could lose the love of my life. And so for us, it's over texting. And you're asking yourself the question over social media and texting, well, how often should I text? I mean, she texted me one day. Should I wait two days, three days? I don't want to wait eight days because that would be too many. I don't want to send the wrong message. 
Should I follow them on social media? How many social media platforms? I mean, she has Twitter, Instagram, GroupMe, Facebook, Snapchat, their blog. I mean, how many things should I follow them? And then not only that, how many things should I like? I mean, I want to show that I'm interested in the, the fact that they just ate a hot dog for dinner, but I don't want to over-communicate. So I don't want to look at all their pictures and like every single one of them, but how many should I, should I like that would communicate that I'm interested, but not overly committed? And, and what, what should I do? And I talked to so many of you that are so worried about stepping through and navigating this terrain and how many hearts or smiley faces do I put to communicate? I'm interested, but not overcommitted. And it's so weird in our culture. We put so much pressure on finding this one. The pursuit for many of us terrifies us. And so this morning, I just wanna, wanna take a look back I want to take a step back from that tension of of how you've got to put on the perfect face to be the perfect person. Otherwise, you'll lose everything. That's just not true. But if you look at our culture, there is tremendous pressure to put the perfect picture out there. I mean, the search today has changed. So how are we searching today? Well, I'll I'll tell you this, just for you. we, We did some surveys a little while ago, and we found out To our surprise, just kidding, we knew this, that most all of you are single. Some of you are dating. Some of you are searching. And some of you, there's a small portion, 16% of you that says, look, I'm good to be single. And that's awesome, no matter where you're at on that spectrum. But you're all single. And I'll tell you what, you're wanting to look for someone. You're wanting to find someone for many of you. So the question is, what does it look like in our culture to find someone? Well, I read a book called Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari. Not recommending the book to you, but it has some interesting statistics in it. And one of the ones is this. He says he, he looked at one sociologist in 1932 named James Bassard, and he saw that through 5,000 consecutive marriage licenses on file for people who lived in the city of Philadelphia, one-third of the couples who got married lived within a five-block radius of each other before they got married. One out of six lived within the same block. Most amazingly, one out of every eight couples lived in the same building before they got married. So back in 1932, they were asking the question, who do I marry? I don't know, who's around? Are they upstairs? Are they downstairs? Are they in my building? Are they next door? You know, the, the, the search radius was very, very small. And that's changed. And he says, we got so many tools to look for. We aren't limited to just the bing bongs who live in our building. We have online dating that gives us access to millions and millions of bing-bongs across the world. We can filter them in any way we want. We don't even have to go out. We can just use our phone. We can search literally millions of people just by swiping. And what's crazy is in this swiping search, we're looking for our soulmate through a swipe. And the tension to find the perfect one is so high. One psychologist or psychotherapist, Esther Perel, she says it this way. Marriage at one point in time was an economic institution in which you were given a partnership for life in terms of children and social status and succession and companionship. But now we want our partner to to still give us all these things. But in addition, I want you to be my best friend, my trusted confidant, and my passionate lover to boot. And we live twice as long. So we come to a one person, and we're basically asking him to give us what, we, what was once given by an entire village to provide. Give me belonging, 
Give me identity. Give me continuity. Give me transcendence and mystery and awe, all in one. Give me comfort. Give me edge. Give me novelty. Give me familiarity. Give me predictability. Give me surprise. We're looking for one to satisfy all of our needs, and it's really an unrealistic expectation. We're swiping and hoping that by reading that bio, they'll give us everything we need in life. And that's why in our first talk, we said there's a one myth that you believe that once you find the right one, then everything will be all right, and that's just not true. See, God created us to be in relationship, but not primarily with one another. That is including one another, but also with him. And he can meet our needs. No individual out there can. And, and singleness actually is a viable lifestyle. And so last week we talked about being strategically single. Utilize your single life in a good way. Finding someone isn't the most crucial thing. It's a good thing, but it's not everything. And so simply, we, we need to look at romance differently. We need to take a step back and say, all right, Lord, how have you intended romance to play out. And we can't go to our culture because those images are just unrealistic. I mean, you've seen it. I mean, I I remember uh, when I was doing high school ministry, I would watch them um, ask one another to the prom or to homecoming. And the process of asking someone to homecoming wasn't as simple, hey, would you like to go to homecoming with me? Because that wouldn't seal the deal. Like, it had to be huge. I mean, you needed flowers, roses, like this elaborate succession of traps that she would have to walk through. And, and then finally, when you get to the end of it, there's this guy standing there with like, I don't know, 30,000 roses and fireworks behind him being like, will you go to Sadie or homecoming with me? And you're like, dude, you're never gonna talk to her again after this moment, And then we watch our romance play out on shows like The Bachelorette. You're like, okay, this is how a first date should go. All you need to do is fly me to some undisclosed island paradise, right? We'll sip Chardonnay, you know, and watch, I don't know, the the dolphins play in the ocean. and, And the wind will blow my hair out of my face just perfectly. And you'll ask me all sorts of questions about what I think about the world and what I think should happen. And you will just nod and agree wholeheartedly with every opinion that I have. And and, and it just creates this a little bit unreal expectation, a little bit unreal world that we can't look to our culture. And I'll tell you what, the Bible actually doesn't teach us how to date, but it gives us principles in what to look for and gives us principles in a process of how to search. And so I love Genesis 24 because we get to see Abraham find a wife for Isaac, his son. And this is key. Dating isn't about shacking up, breaking up, making up, then going on your way. Dating is about finding someone to spend the rest of your life with. And we see Abraham walk through this search process for his son. It says this in Genesis chapter 24, verse one. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of the house who had in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son of the daughters of the Canaanites whom I dwell. The first thing that we see is that when you search, 
you don't look alone. You see, we've got other people involved in this process. We've got a dad and we've got his servant and, and we see him taking it very seriously. He takes his servant and says, put your hand under my thigh. Now that's a euphemism, which means it means something else. And so one commentator writes it this way. The hand under the thigh is a euphemism for the part that bore the mark of circumcision. I'm not gonna draw you a diagram, but just know this was significant. And the reason being is because this was going to be the livelihood of the family. This was important. This was a big deal. And dating is a big deal. You should have other people in the process with you. You shouldn't go in it alone. And if I, I tell dating people all the time, look, you've got to have your parents and your close friends in the process. And here's why. You don't marry people. You marry families. You don't just marry an individual. You marry an entire community because your, your financial future, every one of your holidays, and your wife will be talking to dudes, her mama, all the time. And you need to know, hey, what is this family like? Now, culturally, they arranged marriages. We don't do that. But I tell you what, one of the biggest challenges I see with us culturally is there's this huge emphasis on the individual search of me finding what's right for me. I've got to find the right person for me. And the problem with that is if you find them online or you find them on Twitter, which is fine, I don't care how you find them, but if you just leave it with my perception of this individual, it's a false view of that individual. And so what will happen oftentimes, I hear this all the time, like an individual will talk about that person that they're dating and they'll be like, okay, I just don't know him all that well. Like, what is he into? And, and, and they'll be defensive. I've seen girls get very defensive and protective of the boyfriend. They're like, hey, I mean, he's really great. You don't even know him. And that's my point. No one knows him but you. And when you go in it alone and you're just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my person that fits me and matches all of my destinations and all of my hopes and aspirations, and you just go alone, you get a short-sighted view of that individual. And so we see the process of bringing other people in. Proverbs says this. Proverbs 12:15 says it this way. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke. Proverbs 19.20, listen to counsel, accept discipline, that you may be wise the rest of your days. When you're searching, you don't simply go in it alone. You need other people weighing in on this decision. The second thing that we see in this is that he prays. I mean, literally he says, the God of heaven, I'm, I'm telling you before the God of heaven, ask him to guide this process. Let him be guiding this. Do you have people that are praying for your process and your search? Do you have brothers and sisters in Christ that are around you saying, hey, if that's a concern of yours, I'm actually gonna pray for your relationship. Do you have older people above you saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray that you find the right one if that's what God has for you in your future? Are there other people around you praying for you? And thirdly, they trust God. I love verse five. It says this. Now the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I then take your son back from the land from which you came? And Abraham said, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house 
and from the land of my kindred who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send an angel before you and, he will, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath and of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abram, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Now there's a lot of cultural things going on there, but basically here's what's happening. Abraham's been given a great promise. I'm gonna give you this land. I'm gonna give you a son and I'm gonna bless your life. So you're supposed to be going in this direction. You're supposed to be following me this way. And I know that for my seed to spread, for my family to grow, my son's gotta have a wife. And so I trust God. I trust God in this future that he's gonna provide everything that we need. And he says this, he says, look, God will provide a wife there. I I, I trust God to lead us in this direction. We don't need to manipulate the hand of God. He says, even if it doesn't work out, we still trust him. And you're relieved from your obstacle. And I tell you what, this is so crucial in dating. Do you trust God that he has what's best for you? Do you trust his hand to provide what you need when you need it? Or do we manipulate and and try to make sure that it works so we can have something we can control? I love Abraham's perspective. A wise man who had lived a long life saying, look, you can trust God with your future and you can trust God with this relationship. So we see where, where do we look or how do we look? But secondly, I wanna look at what do you look for? Okay, Kevin, I, I know to wait in prayer and get some people around me, but, but what actually should I look for? And I love this text because it, it brings that out as well. It says this, the first thing you look for is common faith. Genesis 24, verse three, it says this, don't take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites where we are right now, but go to my country and my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Abraham literally sends his son back to the previous country. He looks for a common faith. And I say that, what do I mean by that? I mean that they're a Christian, that they love Jesus, that they're they're serving Jesus, that they have a life that's aligned with making Jesus priority number one in their life. And and I hear that, and I've said that to people, and and I get a pushback often because they're like, well, I mean, Kevin, that just seems like narrow-minded and not all that helpful. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't you consider other things? But what's interesting, Pew Research did a, a survey on this. And they asked generic people, what are the values that you should have in finding someone? The first one that they say is similar ideas about how of having and raising children, a steady job, look at that, some, some, the same moral and religious beliefs, at least some education, and race was a very, very low priority. But what's interesting is that everyone prioritizes something. See that? Everyone prioritizes something. Everyone says, these are my values that are non-negotiable. And all I'm saying is, this one should be one of the ones that's non-negotiable. We see it in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says this, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what does fellowship with light, have with the darkness. And we're talking about marriage. We're not talking about friendship. We're talking about marriage. We're not talking about a neighbor. We're talking about marriage. And I tell you what, marriage is hard. Marriage, you get conflicts over all sorts of things. And I tell you what, you don't want to conflict about this. There's a friend of mine, um, Went to, he went to college here at A&M, and, and I loved him. He was one of the most boisterous, fun dudes you would ever meet. 
And he was dating a girl that several older people around him were saying, hey, i just, just letting you know, I don't think you should continue that relationship. But he was so fun-loving and so just easygoing. Like he just says, no, we're going to get married. And, and I remember talking to him about a, two years into their marriage where she said, I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to be involved with any Christian community. And so finally, he, and he was just broken over it. And he's like, I just, I just don't understand. I thought she was a good person. I thought she loved the Lord. I just, I just didn't know. He just didn't listen to any of the advice that other people saw in her. And then so literally he finally convinced her to go to church. And she says, okay, we can go. We can sit in the back. We will not talk to anyone. And then we'll leave. And I saw my friend and I just, I just watched him wilt when he said that. Because he was a dude who was involved in everything, discipling people, growing his faith, pursuing the Lord. But this connection brought him out of the game. And it's so hard to watch. So does this common faith matter? You bet. It's hugely important. But not only common faith. Secondly, we look for deep character. Deep character. It says this in verse 10. Now then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia near the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside of the city well of water at the time of, that it was evening when women go out to draw water. And he said, O oh Lord, God of my master Abram, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. All the men are praying for this relationship. It's great. He says, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men, the men of the city are coming out to draw. Let the woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have chosen, you have, not, you have shown your uh, steadfast love to your master. And I love this prayer and I love this moment. He goes over and he's got 10 camels. It's a long journey that he's traveling on. And he gets there and he's at the edge of the city. He's, he's asking the question I think many of you ask. How am I going to find someone? <laughs> how am I going to find anyone? And so he prays. And look what he prays for. I want a girl to feed my camels. That's what I want. Gentlemen, that's a great prayer. And he's like, Lord, I need someone to help me. And what he's praying for is someone who's hospitable. Culturally, when a stranger came in, the person that would come in and actually help them and be willing to help, he's praying for someone with hospitality. He's praying for someone that's, that cares for someone that's coming in. He's looking for a woman with deep character that loves people and serves them well. Proverbs 31 says this, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You look for a woman who is a servant-hearted, deep character woman that steps in. I'll tell you what, ladies, you've got to look for the same thing. Guys, I will tell you this, here's the women to avoid. Proverbs has all sorts of wisdom on this. Guys, avoid first the seductive woman. Proverbs 7 Verse 6 through 27 is a tirade from a father to his son saying, don't go after the adulteress. Leave her alone. If you're ever confused, should I go for the girl that's kind of wooing all the men? Negative. You let her go. You go on your own way. Proverbs 23, 20, 
7 says this, for a harlot is a deep pit, an adulterous woman is a narrow well. If she likes going around and talking with everyone, and <laughs> you just say, baby, you can go ahead and go, and I'm going to go my direction. Don't say baby, whatever. You just kind of go your own direction. And he says that she's a deep pit and a narrow well. She will lead you into a dark place, and it, you'll be trapped. You do not want to be there. Ladies, or sorry, one other one for the women. Don't go after destructive women. It says this in Proverbs 25, 24. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. It would be better to be in your attic or on top of your roof than to constantly be fighting a woman. It is a no-win situation. Proverbs 27, 15 through 16 says this, a constant dripping on a day and a, of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and he grasps oil in his right hand. What is he saying? If she's constantly fighting, you'll never win. And it's like a drip on a rainy day. That's Chinese water torture, right? That's how I heard growing up. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's how you torture people, right? The steady drip on your head and you're just like, I don't want to fight anymore. And it's deflating. And so you look at her, is she the seductive woman? Is she the destructive woman? And if she is, you run. Ladies, here's my advice to you from Proverbs. This is great. I love these gold mines. Avoid the fool. Run away from the fool. What do you mean by fool, Kevin? Well, this is one. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. Does he just talk or does he ever listen? Would you ever correct him or does anyone correct him? Is he just like, yeah, 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 I got it. And he kind of launches off into his tirade. He's a fool. Proverbs 18.2 says this, a fool will, does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. You got a dude that's just, you sit down and like, hey, what do you like? Okay, well, here's what I think about everything. And he just kind of lays himself out. Just be like, all right, he's a talker. <sighs> Calm down. There's also fools that fight. The fighter 1417 says this, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. Does he have a quick temper? Is he always picking a fight? Does he always have drama with his roommates? Is he always, is he always bowing up to everyone trying to prove how much of a man he is? Is he always fighting? One day that will turn on you. Proverbs 29:11 says this, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. See, the thing is about these characteristics, at some moments, they can be a little bit exciting. It can be exciting to have that seductive girl and know that you want her. It can be exciting to know, like, that's a beefy, huge, powerful man that everyone is afraid of. And it, it can be like, a, but I tamed that lion, right? It can be exciting at a moment. But one day, that will turn on you, and it will hurt. So you avoid that. You look for deep character in people. Well, Kevin, how do I know? Well, this is why I say don't go in it alone. And this is why I'd say I would strongly encourage you on your dates, don't start going intimate one-on-one -on -one because you don't see clearly. Chemistry creates a fog and you can't see through it. And so I would tell you, bring them to hang out with friends. Bring them to serve with you. Bring them to church. Bring them to your parents. Send them on their own to hang out with your friends. 
and see what information comes back. You know businesses do this when they're hiring people? I was reading a book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and they were talking about a person they were hiring to be part of their organization. And you know what they did? They sent him out with the secretary. They sent him into the field. They did all sorts of things with this guy because they wanted to see how he interacted with different people. Because everyone can fool some people some of the time, but you can't fool everyone all of the time. So you create environments where you test them, right? You're like, oh, it's so sweet that you're coming over and hanging out. Look, I'm going to be hanging out, but I want you to hang out with three of my dude friends. And they're going to take you bowling and they're going to grill you and to figure out what kind of dude you are. And you let those guys come back. Or you got a cute girl, well, so fun, you wanna meet her and talk with her, that's so great. You set her up on a fun time with some other girls that, are, that love the Lord, that love you, that she can go hang out with and so they can evaluate her character. Businesses do this, so can you. Set it up. So look at their deep character and you don't go in it alone. And thirdly, you look for someone that's hardworking. He's pulling 10 camels in, right? That's a lot of camels. One camel can drink up to 25 gallons of water, right? And so this is a bold ask. I want her to give me water, and I want her to feed 25 of my camels. That's intense. And I love that because he does it. And in verse 21, it says that she did everything he prayed for. And in verse 21, he just sits back and watches He says, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. He watched her. He prayed for her. He watches her over time and says, what kind of woman is this? Is she hardworking? Is she willing to get her hands dirty? Is she willing to help? And I tell you what, that's the type of woman you want, men. Proverbs 31, you see an industrious, hardworking woman that's helpful to everyone. That's the type of woman that you want. She's brilliant, she's smart, she's, she's got it together. That's the type of woman that you want. It gives him honor at the gates. And ladies, you want a dude that works hard. I will proverb that boy. Proverbs twenty two thirteen. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. The sluggard is one that always makes an excuse. There's a lion outside. Shut up and get up and go to work. Proverbs 26, 14. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. I don't want to get a job today or tomorrow or in a month. If you're dating that guy, it's not going to go well. So you look for someone that's hardworking, that you can see it, that other people are evaluating. They're saying the same things. And lastly, I'll tell you, how do you start? I will go through this last pick quickly, last part quickly, because I think it's so simple that we make so complicated. Step one, ask. I'm going to blow your mind today. Ask. According to Pew Research, women like to be asked out. The statistics are incredibly high. Regardless of your religious perspective, regardless of your background, they like to be asked out. And so verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring and weighed half a shekel and two bracelets under his arms. And he says, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? Now, it sounds awkward, but he's asking for hospitality. He asked them, who are your parents? 
let me meet your parents. And she said, I am the daughter of Bethil, the son of Milcah, and who bore she bore to Nahor. And he heard, hears the word Nahor. And he goes, that's Abraham's kin. This is who I need. And he falls on his face and he worships. He simply asks, hey, who are you? I want to get to know you. The first step is simply asked. He struck up a conversation. Gentlemen, it is not that hard to strike up a conversation with a girl you're interested in pursuing. Say, hey, my name is Joe. I'd like to get to know you better. It is not that hard. Well, should I text her? Should I get five friends to go talk with her? Should I face stalk her first? Like, what, what's my route? Talk to her. It's phenomenal. Maybe it's through a Facebook conversation. Maybe, but just initiate. It's not that big of a deal. You will not blow up. It'll be okay. Secondly, be clear with your intentions. The next thing the servant does is he says, hey, this, this is why I'm here. He says, I'm looking for a wife for my master's son. Who are you? And I want to be clear, this is what I'm looking for. He explained his intentions so clearly. And what's awesome is that they bring him all the way to dad, and he explains the whole story. And I love the story. He had prayed, hey, God, give me success here. He had prayed, help me find this, this perfect person for, for my Master's son, help me do this whole thing. And he retells the entire story from like verse 29 to 40 something of what happened. Why? Because everyone loves a love story. Everyone wants to hear it again. Okay, tell me one more time. How did you do this? What are you looking for? Okay, that's how we got together. That's interesting. Look what God's doing. Okay, okay. Everyone wants to know. So you tell, you're clear with your intentions. And then thirdly, you see if they're willing. Hey, do you want to go? Do you want to start this relationship? Do you want to move this along? And they, they, he asked her, hey, do you want to start this? In verse 58, they said, and they said to Rebecca, go ask her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. You simply ask. And I tell you what, this removes all of the confusion. You just ask, you be clear, and you say, hey, are you willing? Are you willing to trust God with your story? It is not rocket science. We make it way too complicated. It's so simple. And I, one of the pieces within this to close is that one of the qualities, if you were to read this, that he looks for is virginity. A woman that has been pure. And that is a desire of scripture. It is a value of scripture, but it is not a prerequisite. And I don't know your, your sexual background. I do know some of you have had sex. From some of the statistics that we took from you guys, you have been sexually active. God does value purity in your life, but it is not a prerequisite to date. You are not stained and soiled or unloved because of some mistakes you've made in your past. Does God want you to live pure and wait for, the, for marriage to have sexual relationships? You bet. But just because some of you haven't doesn't mean God still doesn't love you and have a great future for you. I love, um, I love this story because it's more than just a story of how to find a date. It's actually the story of a father who is looking for a bride for his son. And he sends out a servant calling people to come, calling someone to come to be united with the son. In the Old Testament and the, the early church, they use this story as a picture of the gospel of a father 
who loves the world so much, loved the future so much of this world that he sent someone out to call people to himself, to be united with the Son, Jesus Christ, to live a new life. And I tell you what, no matter what you hear this morning, I'll tell you what, there's only one relationship that meets every need. And that's a relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. So before we put in all the how-tos, can we get on our knees and say, Jesus, I trust you with my life and my future. We pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for... um, being able to talk about how to pursue relationships. And I know for so many of us, we get so complicated and so stressed and so worried that we're gonna do everything just right. And I pray that you would just remove that from us. That you would help us to just be honest with who we are in you, Jesus. That we are loved and cared for no matter what our background is. And Lord, you have a hope for us. You want us to be in relationship with you and relationships with one another. And some of those will be intimate, life-changing relationships for a lifetime. So I pray that we would, we would hold that relationship with open hands. We would invite people in that process to guide us. And we would trust you through the whole process. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm really sorry we went really long, but I guarantee you want to have some conversations at your table on this, so you just talk, and we'll end when we need to end. Is that cool with you guys? Sweet. Have a great time of conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith. And I'm Kevin Barra, and we are so excited that you've joined us here on the podcast at- talk a little bit more about the sermons and hear a little bit more about what's going on in college ministry here at in College Station, Texas. All right, so we made it. We're over the halfway point. We are. We are three-fourths of the way through our dating series, and it has been a blast the so, entire time. So much fun. Uh, yesterday was really fun. We got to talk about dating, uh, so kind of getting down to the nitty-gritty, um, right. and it was... Uh, Man, it was it was really cool. I, I thought it was really cool just looking at Genesis twenty four, getting this basically unpack these this kind of scriptural guidance on dating. Because I knew that at least for me, like growing up, I remember hearing time and again that like the Bible doesn't have verses on dating, and mm. like you know, like there's mm-hmm. dating's not in the Bible. So so what are we doing? Good luck, yeah. Or, or you should just kiss a goodbye and court people, and you know, and yep. yeah, it was just it's it's exciting now that I like am a little bit more learned that I, I can, you know, find there. No, no, actually there is, there are lots of principles in scripture where that are applicable to dating. There's examples of God's people looking for spouses. That's right. Uh, you know, so just ways to basically have that carry over, even though, right, there's no like thou shalt date only Christians. Like that's not in there, but you know. Thou shalt take your future you know, option two chilies. Right. And, <laughs> and shall not order tacos. <laughs> no. Thou shalt get a burger and queso for the first. Right. So there's just nothing quite like that, but it was still, it was, it was cool. I, I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was fun. Um, I, I know too, for us at Anderson, um, I mean, you know, you'll, you can speak into Southwood in a minute, but we took a little bit of time too, to talk about, um, 
sex and how it plays in because I'm not going to be here uh, for the marriage talk. That's going to have a lot more sex stuff. Um, but Jacob, what do you what do you know about sex? Why are well, you going to be Why are you going to be well, out? You see, I'm out because I'm having uh, my son this week, <laughs> my second child, and uh, yeah, that's what happens. So I should have probably pointed that out yesterday, but beware uh, that is a that is a possible consequence uh, of those decisions. So, uh, but we, you know, I. I really think it, it's important to note, and we used, I spoke a little bit into First Thessalonians 4 on this, but, um, you know, just to reiterate, I, I think it's so important for us to recognize uh, that, you know, God calls us to a holy sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, regardless of who you're attracted to, regardless of how you identify uh, sexually, uh, you know, like you are called to holiness. And so, what that means is that you set sexuality apart for the marital covenant mm-hmm. between a man and a woman, you know, as outlined by God, affirmed by Christ. Uh, it's it's just – it's something I feel like, unfortunately, we get Christians and or maybe Christianity as a whole is either misinterpreted or, or you know, like people think like, oh, we're, we're pushing these certain moral laws. And I don't know. It's just – I think it's always important to come back to what what is the foundational principle? Well, it's that – Sex belongs in the marital covenant. So any use of it outside of that just is – it's going against God. As First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 4 talks about, you know, it's, it's you're not disobeying man. You're going against God. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I just yeah. – I'm going to start preaching again, yeah. uh, but no, <laughs> I got to calm down. Yeah, and it's true. And I think one of the, the interesting parts is that all of our sexualities um, go under constraint – when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, right. I mean, uh, everyone's sexuality has to has to be brought under healthy constraints, and mm. that's for heterosexual people um, across the board. You know, no matter what your sexual orientation, and so, and that that's part of walking with Christ. Now, the the best part is that I love what Paul says. He says, "Such were some of you," when mm-hmm. he talks about all sorts of sexual failure, mm-hmm. and so it so there's all sorts of issues that have that we've all walked through um, in in making mistakes in this area. And so, yeah, you're, you're not condemned. You're not destroyed. Uh, you're not without hope. And mm-hmm. the bottom line is, hey, Christ, when we come to Christ, he helps us to grow and bring this area under the Spirit's yeah, control. Absolutely. He's not looking for perfection, uh, just humility and faith and rewards that, you know, with forgiveness. So That's right. Anyway. So Southwood, one of the fun parts um, that we just talked about what in this idea of the pursuit, how do you find uh, the one is, uh, you know, it's been fun talking to different students over this series, and there's so much confusion and drama and and uncertainty about how to navigate the terrain in today's culture, <laughs> given social media and text conversations and the fact that I don't talk face-to-face. In fact, I had one student tell me, literally, we don't have face-to-face conversations anymore, so it's difficult to even figure out how to start <laughs> yeah. a dating conversation. Yeah. And I just, I just went, man, but with so, how technology has benefited us in so many ways, it has also also brought some, some challenges to overcome. And mm. so one of the things that I just really want to do is just to say, hey, guys, it's not that hard. You can get people around you to give you advice. That's the great first step that we see in Genesis 24. Mm-hmm. Um, look for quality character in that individual, people that love Jesus and, and are walking with him. And just ask, put yourself out there and ask. And and what I didn't say on that last part of just ask, because that can be totally terrifying for so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I think so much, so much of us, um, our identity is wrapped up in getting the yes, not whose we are in Christ. Um, this person, even if they say no, doesn't mean you're unloved, uncared for, and, or that God doesn't have a great plan for you. He does. This is just a no. And here's the truth. We'll get lots of those in life. <laughs> mm. Whether it's in work, whether it's, you know, any number of things, we'll get no's. And that's okay. That also is part of God guiding our path. Mm. And, uh, and so just trust God that he actually really wants the best for you. And to be clear, don't navigate all these weird social terrains and get lost in the, the maze. But just be clear. Put yourself out there and know that God... God has your best, and if it's going to work out, he'll help you walk through those steps and, right. and not to put so much pressure on it. So, yeah. But we got one week left. One week. I won't be here, but I'm sure it'll be great. Um, yeah. But we have uh, not only our series wrapping up, but we have some new things kind of c- coming up in our ministry, the first of which is uh, this Thursday, so starting um, February or next Thursday? No, this Thursday. Uh-uh. This Tuesday, I am so sorry. (laughs) This Tuesday, uh, we have uh, a prayer event that's going to be meeting for four weeks. It's basically every Tuesday in February um, at three o'clock. Uh, on February 8th is the first one, and, and they're gonna, we're just meeting for prayer. We're, we're meeting to pray uh, for our campus, for our community, for our world. Um, so if you want to be a part of that, there's no agenda, there's no like lesson, there's just, there's kind of going to be a variety of ways to interact with the Lord in prayer. Yeah. And so if you want to be a part of that, it's just going to be 3 to 4 p.m. on February 8th, again, every Tuesday afternoon uh, in the Anderson College Auditorium. So if you want to be a part of that, I mean, we'd, we'd love to see you here. That's so good. It's going to be so exciting. And and one of the kind of spearheads of that is there's great movements of God also often begin with deep prayer. The The second thing that's coming up as well is uh, we've got um, theological training that with Jacob and Kevin, oh, yep. and it's going to be so much fun. We've got four theological topics that we're going to be talking through. Mm-hmm. The first one is going to occur Wednesday, February 15th. We're going to be meeting in Rudder Tower, room 504. Mm-hmm. It's uh, over the lunch hour. That's 1130 to 1230 p.m. And it is going to be so good. The cost is 10 bucks, And we've got some, some content that we're going to give you guys to read and study, to dig a little bit deeper. There's some kind of lecture uh, Q&A format that we're going to use during that hour time slot. And we would just encourage you, if you're a leader or if you're just wanting to dig deeper in theology, come join us. We'll promote this through social media and other outlets, but come be a part. Dig a little bit deeper theologically. And uh, part of it as well is you'll get some some clarity on some direction on where to dig deeper if you want to even study further in, in theology. Yeah, because so. believe it or not, we're not going to cover all of theology in four Wednesday meetings. One hour sessions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be lots of fun. Excited to to be there with you. So thank you so much for joining us on the Grace College podcast. Have a great week.